0: Well, welcome to another edition of Digging In, Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast. I'm your fill-in host this week, Garrett Hawkins, proud to serve as your president. and Every once in a while, I get to step in and help with digging in. This time, I am really excited uh, to be joined by a very special guest. and someone who's uh, really stepped up in a big way in terms of Missouri leadership, and that's our state attorney general, Andrew Bailey. Attorney General, thank you for joining us on Digging In. How excited are you?
1: Oh, Garrett. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, man. This is a real humbling privilege to get to, to speak to you and your audience.
0: Well, it looks like you've, well, I should say every week is busy for you in your role. Uh, there are never, um, There's probably never any downtime in terms of issues that you're working on, but it looks like you've done some traveling in recent days. Have you been to D.C.?
1: I was. Yeah, I went to Washington, DC to testify in front of a House subcommittee. Uh, we've uncovered some of the worst First Amendment violations in this nation's history. And we have a lawsuit pending in U- United States District Court to try to protect Missourians' First Amendment constitutional right to free speech. And uh, the House subcommittee wanted to talk about that.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, you have had a really busy last few days. So for maybe for some of our listeners who maybe haven't got the chance to meet you yet, can you give just a little bit of your background? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm a Missouri kid. I grew up in Boone County and went to Mizzou on an Army ROTC scholarship. 9-11 happened and I put law school on hold to to serve in the Army, deployed to Iraq twice, was a platoon leader, uh, executive officer, and ultimately a company commander. I got home from the Army and I moved to the city of St. Louis and worked as an armed guard at a courthouse in North City, St. Louis, Uh, and then applied to law school, went back to Mizzou on the post 9-11 GI Bill and uh, worked at, uh, all I ever wanted to do was be a prosecuting attorney, so I worked at the Attorney General's office briefly after law school doing special prosecution and then ended up in Warren County, Missouri, kind of in East Central Missouri on the, uh, you know, just to the West of St. Charles County. And so it's a third class county, it's on the fringe of the metropolitan area, but still a very rural jurisdiction. And I really loved being out in Warren County, Uh, loved living there, working there, working in Warrington, made a lot of good friends, uh, became a foster parent, adopted kiddos out of the foster system, needed a a higher paying job and ended up uh, working for the Department of Corrections. And I was there for about six to eight months before the governor pulled me up to his staff. And I've been working for Governor Parson ever since. And so I just was in the right place at the right time to have this opportunity and humbled at the, the privilege to get to serve as the 44th Attorney General in the state of Missouri. My wife and children and I live in uh, rural Montgomery County, uh, just uh, on the southern end of Montgomery County. And so Herman's the closest town, but we live in rural Missouri and are, are proud to be raising our kids. Uh, they're on the banks, of North Bank of the Missouri River, uh, just outside of Herman. Well,
0: that is great. Appreciate you sharing that with us and, and certainly appreciate hearing about your leadership growth through the years you know something i that really impressed me right out of the gate it, you had barely been in office a few days when you called a number of us to your office to talk waters of the united states and certainly that sent a signal early on that that you were listening and ready to to take the reins and and show that missouri continues to lead on what has long been government overreach and infringement on private property rights via the Clean Water Act. So what what made you right out of the gate want to hit that issue, Andrew?
1: Well, two two points to make there. Number one, we cannot underestimate the importance and the impact agriculture has in the history and the future of the state of Missouri. So I'm always going to stand up and, and fight for Missouri agriculture. That's my friends and neighbors. Uh, the, these are the people I, I live with. And so, you know, this is an important industry for all of us. It really drives the state. And, it, it, and you know, when I look at private property rights, people's farms are not just their livelihoods. It's their legacies. People that farm typically, they've done it for generations. I live right next door to a legacy farm that's been in the same family since the German immigrants settled the Missouri River Valley in the the 1800s. And so we've got to fight to protect not only farmers' livelihoods, but their legacies as well. And so fighting back against federal overreach, specifically on WOTUS, was just the first step in our campaign to protect the constitutional rights and, of the people of the state of Missouri. The other point I'd like to make is that when I was at the University of Missouri School of Law, I had a professor by the name of Erin Holly, who's married <laughs> to our United <laughs> States Senator Josh Holly. And Erin Holly was my ag law professor. And so she taught me all about the Clean Water Act. And we studied it, you know, extensively Clean Water Act issues and WOTUS and how that was impacting Missouri agriculture. So it, that, that was an issue that I was, you know, I studied very closely under her tutelage uh, in law school. And so it just, it stayed with me. I mean, I know how important it is.
0: Well, speaking of Erin Holly, she joined me on a panel at Missouri state university this past spring. And it was a real hoot, uh, to be able to be a part of a panel discussion with her. And certainly my goodness, she is knowledgeable uh, yes. on, the, on a number of topics. Oh but my goodness. Yeah. You know, so so your roundtable, we talked a lot about the Biden rule, which has since uh, essentially been halted in twenty-seven states. But something else we also talked about was uh, Sackett versus EPA. That was then had already been heard by the Supreme Court, and we were have been waiting on a an official ruling, you know, I think everyone in that room agreed that the Biden administration should not have proceeded with its rulemaking. We all kind of said no WOTUS before SCOTUS, uh, hoping that the Supreme Court would would uh, hear the longstanding concerns of farmers and others who work the land. Then lo and behold, a few weeks ago, we got a decision. So what was the decision all that you had hoped for, Andrew? Let me start yeah, it,
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was. And, you know, after that roundtable, because so on December 30th, the EPA promulgated its rule, uh, redefining waters of the United States in such a way that essentially was a a federal government land grab. You know, Missouri uh, farmers and ranchers would have had to hire lawyers and experts to fight against the EPA to, to use the property that they have. that's rightfully theirs. And so based on that roundtable, we filed suit in United States District Court to put a stay on to stop Biden's rule. We were successful in that in that endeavor. So we got we got them to stop. Uh, No, like you said, no WOTUS before SCOTUS. And the district court agreed with us in that argument. And then the Supreme Court handed down the Sackett decision. I want to just really quickly run through the facts of the Sackett case. I mean, this is just a tragedy of epic proportion. So the Sacketts are a family in Idaho that bought property in order to build a home. And they started backfilling some land just so that they would have a suitable foundation upon which to build the home. The EPA came in and said, no, you can't do that. This is wetlands uh, under the, we are claiming jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act. And the EPA ordered restoration of the property to its original condition, or there would be imposed a fine of $40,000 a day. And what we're talking about here is the backfill that the Sagats put into a ditch near a creek that fed into an intra, intra-state lake. So like this was the the most blatant and explicit example of EPA federal overreach. Uh, And and so it was a a great case, terrible for the Sackets, that they had to go through years of litigation, but a a huge win for the rest of of property owners across the United States of America. And really what the court has said is that the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers are only going to have jurisdiction over geographical, their jurisdiction is limited, their authority is limited. To geographical features that are described in ordinary parlance as streams, oceans, rivers, and lakes. That in order to claim any kind of jurisdiction over a wetland, that wetland has to be indistinguishable from a stream, ocean, river, or lake due to a continuous surface Connection. If I can't look out and point to the water flowing continuously from the water uh, to the navigable water to the wetland, then the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers will not have jurisdiction over it. So this is a huge win. It's just a really a restoration of kind of common sense that the words Congress uses in 33 U.S.C. section 1362 sub seven to describe the waters in the United States we're going to give those words their plain and ordinary meaning. So it's fair for all of us because we all know the, the level playing field that we're dealing with instead of the EPA having its own special definitions that we have to learn on the fly.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad you walked us through, you know, the Sackett case. I mean, literally this dates back to 2004. And since then, Michael and Chantel Sackett have been battling their own government, like, which is just crazy. But truly, the Sacketts could be any, any Missouri. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And they truly have represented all of us in pushing back against this overreach. And, you know, when you describe the connectivity, I mean, it really underscores the problems that we've had since the 2006 Rapanos decision, the significant nexus test. Right. And the Supreme Court says now the significant nexus test is dead. I mean, that's what you that's what you described, which is huge, huge. That's
1: right. Yeah, no, that's right. That, that is huge. And really, I mean, look, this is going back to the 1980s. I mean, this the Waters of the United States, a study of the Waters of the United States issue is really a masterclass on the mushrooming exponential growth of the administrative state in the United States of America. And you can point back to the, the mid-1980s. If you think back, 1984, the Supreme Court handed down the Chevron decision. And that's that is where we get this term Chevron deference. And what that means is the court got so tired of trying to adjudicate the disputes between administrative agencies and private citizens, that the court kind of threw up its hands and say, look, we're just going to go with the agency's reasonable interpretation of its own authority. We're going to defer to the agency. Well, that's an abdication of the court's uh, responsibility to adjudicate cases and controversies under Article Three of the United States Constitution. So then flash forward one year. So Chevron is handed down in 1984. Let's go to 1985, USV Riverside Bayview Homes. In that instance, the Army Corps of Engineers asserted jurisdiction over wetlands for the first time in the history of the United States of America under the Clean Water Act. And because Chevron was decided a year before, the court saw it as a perfect opportunity to say, hey, look, apply Chevron. We're going to defer to the Corps on this one. If they want wetlands, they get wetlands. And so, again, we started to pervert the the plain language of the Clean Water Act, and it happened almost simultaneously with Chevron. Then you flash forward to 2001. A solid waste agency of North oh. Cook County, the Corps yep. of Engineers. And that's yep. the first the first time the court kind of said, Oh my gosh, we have bitten off more than we can chew here. This is a problem. We have we have empowered the Corps in such a way that was never intended by the Clean Water Act. So there was some limitation. Uh, that the, the Clean Water Act would not apply to ponds not adjacent to open waters. But that that is really the legal backdrop on which we then get the, the 2005 decision in Rapinos, the United States. But again, that's a history of this growth. If you give the administrative agency an inch, they're going to take a mile. And if they get authority here, they'll take authority elsewhere. And it keeps growing and growing and growing. And so that deferential standard that was codified in the Chevron decision was always wrong. And what we see today is the court slowly but surely chipping away at that. And so it's a bright future. Future for private property owners and, and American citizens who want to enjoy their rights absent uh, interference by federal agencies. You
0: know, Andrew, I'm going to have a confession here. I was reading uh, the Sackett decision on a plane and I got teary-eyed. I really did because you read the decision and, and for the first time, you actually have a, a group of justices that you could tell in the writing have heard the concerns and the longstanding problems that farmers and landowners have had with government encroachment, you know, the regulation of dry land <laughs> via the clean water act, right. And trying yeah. to regulate land use activity, all the things that our members have been saying for years were covered in many instances in that ruling. And I've encouraged our members, go back and read it. If you want to, if you want to read the words firsthand and, 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 and see that the justices have heard, that they have heard you read it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the Sackets are one example, but how many families in Missouri suffered having to fight the EPA for years on these types of issues? Or you get whiplash from the uncertainty of not knowing when uh, federal regulators might show up and demand authority over your property. Government exists to protect protect our rights not infringe upon them and so this vast expanse of the administrative state especially in the areas of private property it ran contrary to the, the values of our nation and and so to have the court step up and reset the conversation and say look the, the law means what the law says and we're not going beyond the plain text of the law that's just more fair for everyone it's a rule of law issue at the end of the day
0: you know Uh, I was not surprised to see those who are on the opposite side of this issue immediately uh, start saying that the Supreme Court essentially wants dirty water, right? And, And again, you come back to the Clean Water Act is a prime example of cooperative federalism. You read the text of the Clean Water Act, and clearly it's set up to be a state and federal partnership. The feds don't have all control. And you look at states like Hate to say it, even California has taken steps to go above and beyond the Clean Water Act. Right at the federal level to protect its unique features, Arizona has done that. So one of the frustrations and one of the things that we're trying to do is try to make sure that folks on the ground understand that just because the Supreme Court reined in the federal agencies, at least in this respect, that does not mean that features are going unprotected. That's what the role of states. Uh, that's their job.
1: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Gary. And I would even go one step further. Legally, you're right. I think you accurately articulate the relationship of cooperative federalism, that the, the federal government has a role to play in navigable waters in the United States, and the state has a role to play as well. And, you know, that we we in Missouri appreciate local control, where we can reach out and touch our uh, government, and, and they can hear from us. They're more Absolutely, right. But yes. but I, I would even posit there's another issue here, and that's no one knows how to protect Missouri farmland better than Missouri farmers. At some point, you don't need <laughs> folks in, in a cubicle in Washington, D.C. Like, wh- why would a Missouri farmer destroy their own property? Again, that's their livelihood and legacy. So, you know, it, it's ridiculous to think that uh, that anyone is more expert at protecting Missouri farmland than Missouri farmers. That's the, that's where it starts for me. Uh, and, the, the, you know, our, our our folks involved in the agricultural industry in Missouri understand the value both uh, in, in the short term and the long term, again, as, as it relates to livelihoods and legacies of, of preserving that uh that, that legacy here in the state of Missouri.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. When I had the chance to testify before a congressional subcommittee in February, a member of the Ohio delegation um, asked a, a pretty pointed question again about what we do and don't do as farmers. And It was teed up nicely to talk about the one-tenth-cent sales tax that Missourians passed on their own, right, in the 1980s to say, you know what, we can do even more to protect our parks as well as uh, enhance soil and water conservation in the state, so If anyone knows how to do common sense conservation, it's Missouri farmers and ranchers. And we've shown that uh, for decades now of willing to put in place our own sales tax to generate dollars to match with farmers' hard-earned dollars to go above and beyond in providing environmental benefits. So I think Missouri has a great story to tell, and on this issue especially, Missouri has uh, been known nationally for leading, and I certainly appreciate all the work that you continue to do in this space, uh, Andrew, you and your team. But I have to, you know, post-Sackett, we still have the issue though of the Biden rule. Because um, yeah. yeah. the Sackett case wasn't challenging the Biden rule. So we still have to work our way through the legal system. What, what can you share with our listeners about that process?
1: Well, and thank you for your leadership on this issue, Garrett. Like I said, you know, early on, and Mike, I was appointed in November, in November, took office on January third. I think within the first two or three weeks, we you you were helping us uh, put together that roundtable to hear from leaders like yourself in the field and, and of agriculture, and that helped us understand how to craft our legal arguments. Because you know, we can't just look at this as an academic issue. There are there are real life implications, like on families here in Missouri who are engaged in agriculture or like the Sackett's as individuals. We got to keep that in mind as we're litigating these cases, but we got the stay uh, early on in the US district court level. So again, no WOTUS before SCOTUS. Sackett comes down, redefines, resets the the relationship, puts EPA and Corps of Engineers back in a box of the plain text of the Clean Water Act. And now we got to go to court and say, judge, clearly the Biden WOTUS rule exceeds the jurisdiction of the EPA as defined in the Sackett decision. Sackett sets a baseline. If it goes beyond that baseline, it's illegal. And, and it's very easy to measure how far it, it, it vastly exceeds the baseline set by the court in, in Sackett. So we're confident in our ultimate victory. The law is, or excuse me, the rule is stayed right now. I mean, uh, Biden still has the opportunity to rescind the December 30th rule. And uh, just, I mean, at the end of the day, maybe we're better off without a rule. Maybe we're better off just looking at the statute and going with that. I mean, that's essentially what the court, you know, that's almost implicit in what the court is saying that uh, it's, it's almost like a reasonable person standard. Like we don't need more definition here. We can look and say, if it's, if it's a lake stream ocean river, or if it's a wetland that has a continuous surface flow that you can see with the naked eye, then, there's federal jurisdiction there. But if it's absent those things, there is no federal authority over that. And so we're hopeful the EPA will do the right thing and rescind its rule. And if it doesn't, we'll keep fighting in court
0: to, to get rid of it. And that's what we all need to stay focused on is continuing to push, push, push uh, to make sure that, that we get the outcome that we have long been waiting for. So anything else you want to share with our listeners? Hey, at the end of the day, I promise you,
1: we will be there to fight to protect uh, agriculture in the state of Missouri, to protect private property rights. And uh, as we see these issues come up, we, uh, you know, it, it, we, we live in a world now where the administrative state is a, a, a channel for Left wing impulses. And those impulses often run contrary to some of the values we have here in the state of Missouri. And so they run contrary to private property rights. They run contrary to uh, personal responsibility. And so as we see those issues pop up, uh, we will continue to use. Uh, the, the legal apparatus in the state of Missouri to fight back against that kind of federal overreach. And I'm proud to partner with organizations like Farm Bureau and just can't thank you enough, Garrett, for your leadership and partnership on waters of the United States and other issues that I know will uh, develop in the
0: next 12, 18 months. Well, thank you, Mr. Attorney General. If I had a soundboard, I'd cue the patriotic music right now. I think it should be cued after what a great job you did summarizing just what you are doing, what your team is doing to champion private property rights and protect all of us in the state. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for joining us on Digging In.
1: Thanks for having me on. All the best to you and your listeners.
0: All right. Folks, that's been another edition of Digging In. Make sure to check us out on all of our social media channels by going to www.mofb.org. Until next time, take care.